History says that during the Battle of Waterloo in 1815, the French army fought led by Napoleon, and the English were led by Wellington. As you know, if you know the story, history, there was a very important battle, war for the British people. The problem with that is that in that time, the communication wasn't good. And the anxious people in London started to receive news through a system of optical signals. The system was based on the use of semaphore signals that changed drastically the communication back in that time. It reduced the length of time it took for a message to travel. But although the, this uh, technology, the semaphore telegram, was very costly, during the bad weather, it didn't work well. It could op couldn't operate at night or during a foggy days or nights. So it was a foggy day, and the first message that they received said, the British people, the first message that they received was, well in tongue, defeated. There were tears, confusion, and great disappointment. Since there was a crucial war for the British, they were in tears. They were hopeless. But once the fog cleared out, the message, the message actually said, Wellington defeated the enemy. Brothers and sisters, the same way the date of the crucifixion, the message of the cross also said, Christ defeated. Tears, confusion, disappointment. However, once the darkness and the sky cleared, and the light of the resurrection came, the complete message said, Christ has defeated the enemy. And because Christ rose from the dead, it changed everything, brothers and sisters. If Christ has not been raised, all that we have taught in the past 85 weeks would be pointless. If Christ has not been raised, all that is in the Bible will be pointless. If Christ has not been raised, all that we believe will be pointless. The worship service, the baptism we do, the, Lord, the, the Lord's Supper we take, it will, would all be pointless. That's why Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 says, and if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. And Christ's resurrection is the backbone of our faith, is the backbone of our hope, because if there is no resurrection, there is no Christianity. Christianity would be a pointless religion without hope. And throughout history, many people, they have tried to erase the event of the resurrection. They have tried to erase the resurrection from history, but they have not been able to. And the text that we have today gives us four pieces of evidence 
that Jesus is risen and he is alive. And I'm so happy that we can preach this sermon another Sunday that is not Eastern Sunday. And that's a good thing about preaching expositorily and continually. That we can face those texts and be encouraged in this, with this text in a day like today. So I want you to open your Bible, to turn on your Bible. And I want to invite you to navigate together through all these four evidences. When we read the text, we will notice that Christ is risen and the evidence confirmed it. But let me just again try to, now that Matthew is wrapping up his gospel, if you have been with us throughout the series, you will remember that Matthew's intention has been to demonstrate that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. Jesus Christ is the majestic king that was prophesied from the lineage of David. But also, on the other hand, Matthew has tried to demonstrate that his people has rejected the majestic king, this Messiah. So what we have today is a text that has the story of the resurrection, but also the plot to erase the resurrection. Because Christ is risen, we have hope. For this life and the life to come. So what we're going to do today from this text, we're going to extract this for evidence that may serve us for us to continue to grow in hope that we have that Jesus has given throughout his resurrection. First evidence, the women's testimony. The women's testimony. Let's read together verse 1 to verse 5. So open your Bible because you're going to use it or turn on your Bible. And let's read together verse 1 to verse 5. Matthew 28, now after the Sabbath turned the down of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great, a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like a lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like a dead man. But the angel said to the woman, women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. Brothers and sisters, we, we have seen now uh, the continuation of Matthew text. And what happened last week and the week, week before is that Jesus was crucified. But he was crucified according to the scripture. So what we have in the beginning of this portion is a prophecy that has been fulfilled. Jesus resurrected from the dead, from the dead according to the scripture. And we see this supernatural event. The resurrection of our king produced by God. Not by the angel. The angel just rolled away the stone. God is the one who Brought, brought Jesus back to life according to the scripture. Do you remember that Peter in this great sermon in Acts chapter 2 verse 22, he says that God raised him up. God did it. But not just God. If you just dig in, in, in into the scripture, you will notice that it was a supernatural Trinitarian work. The Trinity was involved. Actually, Galatians chapter 1 Verse 1 says that God the Father raised him from the dead. 
Romans chapter 8, verse 11 says that the Holy Spirit raised him from the dead. And John 2, 2, 19 says that Jesus said, destroy this temple and now in three days I will raise it up. So it's a supernatural Trinitarian work that takes place in this supernatural event. But we see that the first witness of this event were the women, not the soldiers. The soldiers were sleeping. But the women, the women saw the stone rolled away. And the question is why? Why the stone need to be rolled away? Because Jesus could go through walls. But the stone is rolled back so the resurrection could be evident for anyone. And who are the first witnesses? Women. Why? Because women, if you have been with us, you will remember that they were present during the crucifixion. They were in the cross. Matthew 27, 55, 56 says that they were looking to what was happening in the cross. They mourn during the crucifixion. But also Matthew tells us last week that the women, they were close to the tomb as well when they saw Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus putting the body of Jesus Christ in the tomb. So they were present all the way through this process. And even though the Gospels, they have a list of different women, there is one woman in common, Mary Magdalene. The Mary that Jesus cast out of seven demons. And then we see them coming in the morning because they perfectly knew where the tomb was. They were not lost. They knew where to go. It's a Joseph, the rich man, religious man from the council that he became a disciple of Jesus Christ. It's in his tomb. So early in the morning, they came. And what happened? They had this um, supernatural encounter with the empty tomb and with Jesus himself. My question at this point is, what happened to the other disciples? Have you, have you wondered why the disciples were not around? If you read the gospel, you will remember that when John the Baptist was beheaded, his disciples took his body. But it didn't happen with Jesus. They were hidden. John 20 says that when the first day after the resurrection, when Jesus came out, to him, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fears of the Jews. But God, in his grace, in his sovereignty, wanted the women to be the first ones to testify. And maybe you may ask why this a testimony is so important, why this is an evidence of Jesus' resurrection. Well... Because the only reason why in this culture, in that time, the only reason why someone would say that a woman was the first eyewitness witness is if such noticeable event was true. Due to the cultural conviction of that time regarding the eyewitnesses, this detail would make the story less convincing. Unless 
it was true. So if you want to make up the story, you will not write down that women were the first to witness unless the story is true. So the women's testimony confirms that this story is true. It's the first testimony and the first evidence that confirms Jesus' resurrection. What is the second evidence? The empty tomb. The empty tomb. Verse 6. He's not here, for he has risen as he said. Come see the place where he lay. As I mentioned, the, the resurrection is a fundamental doctrine of Christianity. But also, it's a proof of Jesus' deity. It's a proof of Jesus fulfilling all his promises and his prophecies. In contrast to the reality of Christ's resurrection, no other religion is based on the resurrection of its leader. The empty tomb was a symbol of the resurrection. So when we talk about the empty tomb, many things could come to our mind. First, when we see or hear the empty tomb, we are reminded of, of several things. First, the empty tomb points to the bodily resurrection of Jesus. He resurrected physically, not spiritually, as a theory is around. The resurrection of Christ also point us to the victory of our death and the promise of our resurrection. And many skeptics, they made up alternative theories to explain the empty tomb. The hallucination. Do you remember that? That they just saw a vision? Also, um, another theory. Uh, there's more than 10 theories. I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to mention all of them. But like, it was a, like a telepathic message. That they, Jesus trained them to communicate with them through telepathic, you know, method. But let me mention some of those that we can see in the text. The women and the disciples, they said, that went to the wrong tomb. That's a theory to explain the empty tomb. That he, that they went to the wrong tomb. Well, as we read, women, and you know, we know how women are <laughs> very details, like they take care of every single detail. And not just that, they remember and remember and remember. <laughs> so are we, as we read in, in, the, in the previous chapter in the Gospel of Matthew, these women were diligent to know where the body of Christ was when he was crucified, who took the body, what they did to the body, and what tomb he was put it. So it's not a theory that could be sustainable. Second, other theory is that Joseph of Arimathea moved the body from his family's tomb and then forgot to tell everyone else. <laughs> it's impossible as well. Why? Because... It's impossible to think that he went to the extent of destroying his religious career in order to back up a fraud. Another theory is the swan theory, or a semi-coma theory, that says that Jesus never died. Jesus never died. On the cross, he was sufficiently traumatized to have gone into a shock, and then later into a semi-comatose state, they assumed that he was dead. They put it on the tomb, and they said that uh, his body was wrapped up and, 
and, and all the spices and the coolness of the tomb revived him. And then how he walked later on to Galilee. And then he spent nights and days drinking nothing, no water. What happened with all the blood that he shed? What happened? It's impossible to sustain it as well. But there is another theory that it's in the text as well. And we can see it and we will see it later. The disciples stole Jesus' body. And they stated that, they, that he had resurrected. Also, this is impossible as well. Why? Because since the very first moment that Jesus was um, taken, we see these fearful disciples running away, hiding himself. And it's impossible to think that these disciples that were not trained to kill or to defend anything, they will beat or defeat the Roman soldiers that were in the tomb. And actually, when you see the disciples preaching the gospel, the first place they preach the gospel is in Jerusalem, isn't it? So they can confirm it is a, if it was a fraud or not. Actually, the religious leaders and Roman leaders as well, they can just investigate. And if they found, they found that they stole the body, they, it has a penalty. There is a death penalty. They could lead them to the death penalty, they could have been crucified upside down because of stealing a body from a stone. Probably you know better than me this man, but Charles Colson, who was a special counsel to President Richard Nixon, he says this, I know the resurrection was a fact and Watergate, prove it to me, prove it to me. You may ask, as I did, How? He said, because 12 men, 11 plus men, testified to seeing Christ rise from the dead, then they proclaimed that truth for more than 40 years and never denied it. They were all beaten, tortured, stoned, and put into prison. They wouldn't have put up with all that if it wasn't true. Watergate, on the other hand, brought together 12 of the most powerful men in the world, and they couldn't sustain a life for three weeks. <laughs> and he says, are you really going to tell me that 11 plus apostles were going to maintain a life for more than 40 years? It's incredible. The question again is why the, 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 the stone was rolled back? Was the, why the empty tomb is so important? Everyone could see that Jesus is not there. And the empty tomb and the transformation of the apostles and their seal to proclaim the gospel can only be explained by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You cannot be a witness of something that you don't believe. And my question is, brothers and sisters, do you believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Moreover, does your life reflects your hope in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The way we face death, COVID, and others reflects that your hope is in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, Jesus is alive. If Jesus is alive, then we can live in peace in this world 
but also with our mind in the, and eyes in the world to come, in heaven. The women's testimony confirms the resurrection. The empty tomb confirms the resurrection. Third, the fulfillment of the prophecies. Verse 7 to 10. The angel tells, then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the death, dead. And behold, he's going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they disputed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to his, his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. And then Jesus said to them, don't be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Gal Galilee and there they will see me. As I mentioned, the women, they were the first evangelists of the good news of the resurrection. And the angel sent them to go to tell the disciples to obey and to run to Jesus. And I don't know if you see the, 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 the pattern here, but I think that the way that these women reacted is the way, the same way that should happen in every single disciple of Jesus Christ in every generation. Notice they do every what every disciple of Jesus Christ must do. First, the women ran into Jesus. That's the first thing that every, every of us or everyone who's in Christ did. We ran to Jesus. Second, they listened to Jesus. Third, they worshipped Jesus. And fourth, they obeyed Jesus. This is the, I think this is the, the, the path that every single disciple that have lived on after Jesus' resurrection, every single disciple of Jesus Christ must do. Run to Jesus, listen to Jesus, his word, worship Jesus, and obey Jesus. Jesus, Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and they will see, they will see me. I don't know if you remember, but Jesus has... I've prophesied that before. He has mentioned that before. He has mentioned that before. And I think that Jesus is sending these women to remind something that Jesus said already to the disciples. In Matthew 16, 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And on the third day, he be raised. He prophesied his death. In his resurrection. Matthew 17, 23. And they will kill him. And he will be raised on the third day. You know what, what they did? They were greatly distressed. Matthew 20, 19. He said, and deliver him over the Gentile to be mocked, flogged, and crucified. And he will raised on the third day. And do you remember when was the last time that Jesus prophesied? These same words that now he's sending the women to tell the disciples in Peter's denials context. In the, in the Last Supper, Matthew 26, 31, 32, Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. So Jesus is fulfilling 
his prophecy, his promises. What is happening here is basically a reminder of what he had already told his disciples. And now he's sending the disciples, the women, with the message. Don't be afraid. Unfortunately, Matthew ends the story of the resurrection in verse 10. But we have other gospel that helps us to, to, to see the whole picture of what happened. Mark says that when the women arrived to the tomb, the angel asked them to go to the disciples and to tell to whom? Peter. And why this is important? Because you remember what happened with Peter. He was distressed, disappointed, frustrated because he denied his Lord three times. And he serves as a reminder to Peter that Jesus was not, was, has not cast him off. That Jesus is not upset with him after he, his betrayal. Jesus wants Peter to know the restoration is Peter. It's here, Peter. The rest, time for restoration is Peter. It's here, Peter. The time for restoration is here. John tells us that one of them went and told Peter, and Peter and John went running to verify if the tomb was empty. And they entered to the tomb and noticed that the linen robes were there. Another evidence. Because if you steal a body, if you steal anything, you will not fold the, 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 the cloth. You will not do that. But the, the linen were fold. And they saw it. And the text says that the Peter was, was um, glorifying God. Luke says that when they said these things to the disciples, they thought that all the things that this woman told them was a nonsense. Nonsense. Luke 24, 11. But these words seems to them an idle tale. And they did not believe them. And Mark again tells us that Mary Magdalene mentioned that she had seen him and the disciples didn't believe it. Do you know what happened with the two disciples, two Emmaus, when Jesus appeared to them? A very funny story, very funny. They were walking, two disciples. They are not the 11, but two of them, two other disciples. And Jesus asked them, hey, what happened? Why are you, where are you mourning? Mourning, mourning. And they said, well, are you the only one in Jerusalem that have no idea what is happening here? Hey, the only one that knows, it's me, eh? <laughs> and he said, no, tell me. Oh, Jesus Christ, the prophet that was crucified. A prophet? He's not a prophet. He's God. And then the Bible says that Jesus opened up their eyes and used the scripture to demonstrate from Genesis to the prophet that the scripture talks about him. And all the prophecies are fulfilled in the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And Jesus fulfilled what he had promised. And he promised he will resurrect on the third, on the third day. He did it. And he also promised that he would meet them in Galilee. And he did it. And I don't know if you know where it points us. It just points us to believe and trust in his promises, in his word. In 1 Corinthians 15, 3, For I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received, that Jesus died 
for our sins in accordance with the scripture, that he was buried, and then he raised on the third day in accordance with the scripture, and then that he appears to Cephas and then to the twelve. So we see the fulfillment of the prophecies as another evidence of Jesus' resurrection. Can we trust in his word? Amen. Are his word true? Amen. He said that he would resurrect, and he did it. He promised that whoever is in him, that person will be resurrected with him even after death. Do you believe that? So don't fear that. There is a hope. He promised that he will come back. And you know what? He will. Women's testimony, empty tomb, fulfillment of the prophecies, and finally, and very important, the, the, the testimony of the enemies of the resurrection. The testimony of the enemies. While they were going, behold, son of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, tell people his disciple came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. I was wondering why Matthew, in the climax of his narrative, is inserting this portion of the text. Why he didn't elaborate more about the resurrection. Why he brought this portion where the, 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 the religious leaders and the Roman soldiers, they just made up this fake news. Do you think the fake news is just from this generation? <laughs> Again, remember that Matthew is trying to portray Jesus as this majestic king, but also the rejection of this majestic king. And in verse 2, the Roman soldiers, they were knocked out. We read in verse 2, knocked out by the manifestation of the angel. In verse 4, sorry. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But observe what happened. Observe the weakness, the weakness of these religious leaders. The testimony of the enemies is one of the stronger evidence of the resurrection. Observe what happened. These fearful guards, they have a supernatural experience. They go to their religious leaders. They told them the truth. They, that's the first thing they do in verse 11. And then look what happened. First, the leaders bribed the soldiers to silence the truth. Verse 12, and when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave sufficient sum of money to the soldiers. They bribed the soldiers to silence the truth. They accepted, they get paid, and they agreed to lie in exchange for money. Second, I don't know if you notice that you don't bribe a people to tell the truth. 
You don't bribe a people to tell the truth. You bribe to, to hide the truth. So the bribe itself exposes it as a lie. Third, the leaders create a lie to suppress the truth. Read, tell the people, his disciple came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. Whoa, 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 whoa. Do you see the contradiction? If the disciple stole the body of Jesus while they were asleep, how in the world they knew that the disciples did it? <laughs> can you see how unsustainable this lie is? How can they testify against the disciples when they were sleeping? You see, their best effort to disapprove the resurrection made them look like fools. Fourth, they protect the lie. They protect the lie. And if it comes to the gover governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. Do you see how wicked they are? But in chapter 27, they said, Pilate, we need guards because the deceiver, he said that he will raise on the third day. And you know, we don't want the disciples to come and then they make another story and then it will be worse. And they became the deceivers. Do you see how wicked they are? And finally, what they do, they not just bribe the soldiers to silence the truth, the leaders create a lie to suppress the truth, they protect the lie, but also they spread the lie. So they took the money and they did as they were directed. And the story has been spread among the Jews to this day. This day means the day that was written Matthew, okay? To this day. The day that Matthew was written. So Matthew confirms with this narrative, he confirms that both the Jewish leaders and the Roman soldiers acknowledge that the resurrection of Jesus Christ happened. And the empty tomb created a problem. And the reason why Matthew writes this story in the climax of the resurrection, in the climax of this story, the climax of human history, is to demonstrate that the testimony of the enemies of Jesus Christ and their plot confirmed the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They tried to silence the truth, but they couldn't. You know, how do we know they couldn't? Because you and I, we are here celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen. If you continue to read the book of Acts, chapter 17, what happened? They were spreading out the resurrection. They were spreading out the good news of the new king. And it caused some trouble. And they went and couldn't find them. And they dragged Jason and some of the brothers to the city to the city authorities shouting, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason has received them and they are all acting against the decree of, the, of Caesar saying that there is another king, Jesus. <laughs> they couldn't stop. They couldn't stop. 
the proclamation of the good news of the resurrection. And church family, we must go out and preach the people, preach to the people the good news that Jesus Christ is resurrected, that he had defeated sin, he had defeated Satan, he had defeated death, and he promised eternal life to anyone who believed in him. Brothers and sisters, we shouldn't silence. The resurrection means that Jesus Christ is God himself. And he said he was and he had the power over life and death. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the evidence that he has satisfied God with his sacrifice for our sins. It demonstrates that the word of God is completely truthful and reliable. And Jesus stated specifically when and how it's going to happen. Do you believe that? Are you living in the light of the resurrection? I don't know how it changed you, but let me tell you why the resurrection changed us and changed humanity and changed Christians and disciples. As I mentioned before, there is no Christianity without the resurrection. Because the Lord's resurrection is the foundation of the Christian faith. The fact that Jesus is alive means that everything that he has said is true. The fact that Jesus Christ is alive gives me hope in fighting sin. The fact that Jesus is alive means that his word is alive and is acting in the body of Christ, sanctifying the church. The fact that Jesus is alive means that he continues to sanctify me. He, con- he continues to sanctify me. The fact that Jesus is alive means that he is the most valuable treasure that we have. The fact that Jesus is alive means that I will live with him after death. The fact that Jesus is alive means that he will come back for his church just as he promised. And moreover, the fact that Jesus is alive means that nothing, nothing or anyone could separate us from him forever to eternity, brothers and sisters. Jesus is alive. Therefore, if you're fighting with sin, remember Jesus is alive and he defeated sin. Take this verse with you, Romans Chapter 8, verse 11 says, The spirit of him who raised Jesus from dead dwells in you. The same spirit, the same power that raised Jesus from dead dwells in you. So we have overcame sin because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you are going through a difficult time, Remember that God is in our side fulfilling his promises. If you are afraid of death, Jesus is alive and he has promised eternal life to anyone who believes in him. If you feel alone, I don't know, you may feel alone even though you are surrounded of people. If you feel alone, remember that Jesus is alive and he has promised to be with his children every day. Every day. You may feel it, you may not feel it. Every day he promises to be with you till the end of, the, of your life. 
So if you are believers, let me give you this text to apply it. It's the text that we read at the beginning, and I want to close this sermon just with a reminder of this text. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 54, 56. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, brothers and sisters. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast. Be steadfast. Don't allow anything external, anything that is happening in the world, don't allow it to move you. Be immovable. Don't stop doing good works, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is in vain. Jesus is risen, and he has changed everything. If you are not a believer, if you are not a believer, and you are here, let me introduce, to close this sermon, let me introduce to you the risen Jesus that we believe. Jesus is above any other religious leader. Confucian. Confucius, this Chinese leader, said, I never said that I was holy. Jesus said, hey, be holy, because I am holy. And Confucius' remains are still in his tomb at the cemetery of Confucian Jingin in China. Muhammad, he said, if God doesn't have mercy on me, I have no hope. Jesus said, Whoever believes in me has eternal life and hope, eternal hope. And Muhammad remains are still at the Green Dome in Al-Masahid Nabawi in Medina. Buddha, he said, I am someone in search of the truth. <laughs> and Jesus said, I am the truth. And Buddha's remains are still in the tomb in Jingchuan County in Pingline, China. And Jesus said, brothers and sisters, and those who are visiting, Jesus said, I am the resurrection. I am the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And he's alive and the tomb is empty. And you can go now. And you can go to Jerusalem. You can go to the same place. And what you will find? An empty tomb because he's sitting at the right hand of God the Father. That tomb is empty and Jesus is risen. So if you are visiting today and you have not met Jesus Christ, we are not introducing to you a dead God or a dead Savior, he's living, he's risen, and he has defeated the death. And this text is for you if you are visiting. Romans chapter 10, verse 9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from death, you will be safe. Don't miss the opportunity to come to Christ. How can we respond it? If you are not a believer, we invite you to respond it, giving your life to Jesus. 
to the Savior. The Savior, he's alive. And we are going to celebrate this. You know why? Because we celebrate the resurrection. And if you are a believer, this is the way I, we want you to respond. Celebrating the Lord's Supper who remembers us that Jesus is alive. 